The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 152 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. In this episode, I will be talking to Jason Dunn of BRPH. Jason serves as the VP of Project Management and the Chief Risk Officer. We're going to be talking about everything you need to know in obtaining the PMP certification, and Jason will also tell us about how getting his PMP impacted his career overall. He's also going to talk a little bit about what a chief risk officer does and why more firms in civil engineering might consider creating that position. I am your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. Before we get started, a couple things I want to let you know about. First of all, we've been getting a lot of requests for the podcast to be on Spotify. And so we were probably a little bit delinquent in this, but we did finally get all of our podcasts on Spotify. So if you search for the title of the podcast, like the Civil Engineering Podcast, you will find it on Spotify along with our structural and geotechnical podcast as well. All of our podcasts are free and our sponsors help to keep them free. So we ask that you please support our sponsors. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsors for this episode. First up, we have Mazer Consulting a privately owned multidiscipline engineering firm with 950 employees in 32 offices nationwide and growing fast. Mazer Consulting is delighted to announce that Colliers International has completed the previously announced acquisition of a controlling interest in Mazer. This unique partnership allows Mazer's senior leadership to retain significant equity in the firm and continue driving operations while providing resources necessary to accelerate the growth of the business. Leveraging this partnership will result in exciting new career opportunities for employees, further diversification of Mazer's portfolio of work, and expansion of Mazer's footprint across the U.S. The company will be rebranded as Collier's Engineering Services in the first half of 2020. I'll tell you a little bit more about Mazer Consulting later on in the episode. And I'd also like to recognize our other sponsor for this episode, PPI. This episode is brought to you by PPI Kaplan, a leader in licensure exam prep. Listen up later in the episode where I will tell you about a complimentary webinar that they are sponsoring for our listeners on PE exam preparation, as well as COVID-19 updates to the PE application process. Don't miss it. All right, so now I want to tell you a little bit more about our guest, Jason Dunn, before we dive in here. Jason provided firm-wide project management leadership. That's what he does on a regular basis. He's responsible for recruiting, training, mentoring, and team building in the project management discipline, as well as strengthening client relations and positioning the firm for opportunities throughout our target market sector. So you could see he's got different responsibilities. Now, as the chief risk officer, he leads efforts for the entire organization to reduce business risks that could hurt BRPH's profitability and productivity. He's responsible for identifying, assessing, and mitigating all significant threats to BRPH's capital and earnings. And if you think about what's happened in 2020, 
he was busy in that position. And as I said earlier, it's a position I think more and more firms may create. So we'll dive into that a little bit. And he really has broad experience in extensive project management, civil engineering, and master planning, specializing in large-scale land development and building structures, among many other projects. And he's here to talk to us today about the PMP certification and how it has helped him. So with that, let's dive into our Civil Engineering Conversation of the Week with Jason Dunn. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'm excited to welcome today's guest to the podcast, Jason Dunn. Jason is the Chief Risk Officer at BRPH. Jason, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Looking forward to chatting. Jason, I'm really excited to talk to you. We're going to dive into a little bit on how the PMP certification has helped you in your career as an engineering professional. Of course, you're a licensed engineer as well as a PMP. However, before we jump into that, I want to talk a little bit about your company and your position at your company, Chief Risk Officer. First of all, tell us a little bit about BRPH and what services your firm provides. We're a multidiscipline firm, architecture and engineering. We have all disciplines in-house, not just architecture, but we have civil, structural, plumbing, mechanical, electrical, everything you need from, you know, to do a, a project. And we try to keep that in-house. We are 56 years old and have been doing mostly work in the manufacturing, aerospace and defense, uh, commercial, entertainment uh, and education market sectors. Those are kind of our base market sectors. And it's a good mixture of those uh, to counteract, you know, ups and downs, ebbs and flows of the market conditions. Uh, So it's a good mixture of the markets. And we are spread out uh, all over the U.S. and strategic areas, really. We're based in Melbourne, Florida, which is right near Cape Canaveral in the Kennedy Space Center. Our first client as a company was NASA, and we still work for NASA today, as well as other space flight companies that are in that region. So we've held our headquarters there. We have a presence in Florida, uh, Melbourne, Orlando, and uh, Boca. And then we have, I'm in our Atlanta office, which is a regional office in Atlanta. And in that area, we have an office in Huntsville and Charleston, South Carolina. We just opened a new office in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and we have an office in the Seattle region. And what's the rough number of people you have? We are right at 350 folks. And it's a pretty even split between architecture and engineering. I'd say it's about 50-50. And I know that there are you know, a lot of benefits to having the services in-house together in terms of just effectiveness on project production, as well as you know, cross-marketing and, and business development. So lots of good stuff there for sure. That's right. And like I said, we try to use our in-house services as much as possible for a client. That way we've, we do everything essentially turnkey if we can. Certainly something to think about as a civil engineer, if you're listening, you know, when you think about what firms you're going to work for, if you're not at a firm right now, firms that do have those different disciplines, it's a different ball game, I guess is a good way to say it when you're working there, because you're able to be kind of more of an all-in-one solution for clients. I know I worked at a multidiscipline civil firm. And so when I would go out on a project site, I'd be able to say, hey, if you need some geotechnical, you know, soil examination done, we can do that. If you need some wetlands investigation done, we can do that. If you need the survey done, we can do that. And so it makes things easier. But Jason, what I also want to talk to you about, you know, when I originally contacted you, we said we were going to focus on talking about the PMP, which we will, but your title chief risk officer seems like it's a title right now that, or a position right now that a lot of firms would want to have someone in. Talk a little bit about your responsibilities with this position. So we developed this. Actually, it's fairly new. We decided to go ahead and make it formalized this year. For one, 
what we do is risky, right? Engineering architecture is risky. There can be bad things that happen when things go wrong. My firm, we do engineering design, architecture design, but we also have a construction arm and a separate construction services group that'll do, you know, primarily build. We try to leverage that for clients, almost like an extension of service. Uh, so we're not out there bidding huge projects, but we offer that as more as a, like I said, an extension to offer value to clients. So there's, as with construction comes risk. What I've been tasked to do is really identify, assess, and come up with responses, mitigation plans for any risk that I see in those areas, but not just architecture, engineering, and construction, but also things like IT. You know, there's obviously IT risk now with ransomware and those sort of things, identifying those, you know, anything from actual legal risk that uh, sometimes those pop up. So I handle those with any disputes with our owners, uh, with contractors, even into the mediation areas and things like that, which is necessary to solve those disputes. I've been tasked to look at it from an entire enterprise standpoint of all of our services. And that came from you know, my prior role as I was hired into BRPH was director of project management, which basically was acting as a PMO officer. I um, created the standards from a project management division and enforced those and you know, make sure we're in compliance the way we plan projects, the way we earn revenue, the way we deal with clients, and, and the way we work internally and externally with team members. So it kind of grew from that as, as that kind of developed and matured. You know, I started handling some of the problem projects that would come up from time to time or clients who weren't happy and, and talking to those and try to mitigate those issues that kind of led to the chief risk officer role I have now. I mean, of course, with everything going on with the pandemic, but even beyond that, like you said, with construction and you know construction litigation and cybersecurity risks, I would imagine that your position, you're pretty busy. Yeah, it just was formalized this month, but I've been kind of ramping up to it for several months now, especially with the pandemic. It kind of accelerated risk and the need for risk management as we saw it as a corporation. More firms are going to have positions like this going forward based on this pandemic and there's always cybersecurity threats and, and things of that nature, especially as firms grow and there's just more people and more locations and things of that nature. So that's very interesting. And, and really, Jason, what's interesting about your career as, as I hear you speak about it is you've had some positions where you've been able to really kind of help and influence your company in terms of the project management and creating the standards, now getting into the risk stuff. That must be something that's kind of exciting as a professional. It is. If you feel like you can contribute, especially change the way things are being done at the company and, and, it, and it's a betterment, you know, the way we do things and it allows us a better platform for growth. That's very exciting. And that's been wonderful uh, to be a part of. And that's what I was brought in to do at my current firm, BRPH. I joined uh, seven years ago and I was brought in to help, like I said, just uh, create those project management standards. They didn't have any in place and they were in tremendous growth mode when I joined. Uh, we've do over doubled in size since I've joined seven years ago. So that kind of tells you, gives you a magnitude of what happened. But just to develop those standards and kind of get everybody on the same page and more uniform approach, even across all the multiple markets, uh, has been very helpful to our growth in the last several years. So let's jump in here and talk a little bit about the Project Management Professional Certification or the PMP. And for those of you not familiar with that certification, it's an internationally recognized professional designation that's offered by the Project Management Institute. And I believe at this point in time, there are about a million active PMP certified individuals kind of across the globe. 
Jason, talk to us about the certification. What made you interested in going after it? So as I was brought in for that role as director of project management initially, started researching a little bit about standards and what makes sense from a design firm versus construction, because there's different kind of project management paths, you know, related to design and construction and, and anything else. So I started researching it and joined PMI at the time and really thought that would be a great learning experience and tool for me to use and utilize across our firm. So I did go through PMI, research different learning classes, you know, preparation classes for the PMP. And so that's what I looked at. And what I ended up doing was taking a four-day almost crash course uh, training class uh, that's offered by a PMI licensed trainer. And basically, it's four days of intense training and learning, basically 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. That was effective. While it was intense, it did get me away from the office because you were, you know, at a location away from work and you could focus on that. It was four full days straight. And then after that, you were eligible to take uh, the test. Some folks recommended taking the test on the Friday because it was Monday through Thursday. I would not recommend that because your brain is overloaded after those four days and you're in, and you need a little break. So what I did was I took, I think, two weeks to kind of digest the information, uh, relearn it, recalibrate it, and then took the test and it was effective that way. So in terms of the application process and the preparation for it, so you apply for it, you felt some kind of application for the exam, is that correct? That's correct. It's through PMI.org, and you have to show certain years of experience uh, in managing projects. That time when I took it, I had you know well over ten years of experience performing management process. Actually, twenty years. But if they had what they had you do, it's a pretty intense process for application. You had to break it out into what they call the five project management knowledge areas, which is basically the process uh, timeline of a project, which would be initiation, planning, execution, monitoring and controlling and closing. So all five of those areas, you had to really segregate your duties and your past experiences of how you interacted in those areas and in any stage of the project. So it's a pretty fairly intense application process uh, to complete. And then so once you were accepted to take the exam, you took the week-long preparation course, as you mentioned, the four days. Was that something that you took? That was like your extent of studying, or were you also preparing before that on your own or after that? I was preparing for my, on my own because PMI does offer certain tools and things to start reviewing. They have the Project Management Book of Knowledge that's available online. So I did start to prep, but the class was the essential tool. It, it was They went through each knowledge area you know, in the same procedure that you would take the test. They offered many practice tests together as groups uh, in the class itself. So it was very hands-on instruction. I would definitely recommend that approach rather than say doing a online course on your own because I think it keeps you focused. Being able to get away from things, stay focused on it. Exactly. Yeah, I can see how that can be helpful. And so I was going to ask you kind of how difficult it was to study while you were working, but it sounded like that was the strategy to get around that a little bit was getting yourself out of work. <laughs> it really was. And what I did, you know, the next week before the test, after work or in the evenings, I would, you know, refresh the material of my way from the family in a quiet room just to kind of gather my thoughts. It, it's a lot of material. There's actually a lot of memorization and, and process order of things, how things are, you know, prioritized and things you got to do first before you proceed to the next step in that approach. So it's very comprehensive, but the way it's structured is very scalable to the organization you work in. So 
I modeled the same approach that PMI uses for our project management standards and BRPH, the same processes, the same knowledge areas, the same timelines, just scaled back a little bit because uh, there's not everything applies to what we do that PMI enforces, but PMI does it from a global standpoint. It is scalable to use that to set standards for our design firm or any other firm you choose to do so. That's great. And what is the actual exam like? Take us through that. How long is it? How does it work? It is a four-hour test, and actually it, is, it was performed, I don't know how they're doing it now with COVID, it may be virtual, but uh, it's at a secure testing center, so you cannot bring any materials inside. You know, you leave everything in a locker, and it's a four-hour test, 200 questions, actually all multiple choice. So there are some trick questions involved, you know, it tried to trick you up process-wise or terminology-wise, so you got to be careful with how you answer it, but half-day test at secured locations how it worked. And then what I liked about it, as soon as you hit submit, you knew if you passed or failed right then. You didn't have to wait you know, for mail or whatever. So it was great. You talked about how it's impacted you in terms of your company. It's obvious that you've really used that blueprint to help you build the PM standards at BRPH, which is great. And I see that that's tangible and very valuable. But how has it impacted you personally, like in your career, the way you think, the way you approach things, the whole PMP process? I'm an engineer, and uh, so I'm very methodical, analytical. So it kind of helped me hone those skills a little bit more when it comes to project management and anything else related to the PM world, you know, meetings, review sessions with owners, uh, team meetings internally or externally. It kind of made me focus more on the right process to follow when it comes to those sort of things. It really helps me to become a little more organized and procedurally wise. It actually also helped me. I, I perform all the project management training internal at BRPH and have been for a while. We're looking to maybe expand that soon uh, to maybe use outside sources. But it helped me develop a good training program for our new upcoming PMs or new PMs that we hired within the company to kind of train them on the platform to model after our standards. You know, it, it pretty much modeled the PMI platform, but what I would do in the training sessions would show them how it applied to our standards, our tools and templates and things like that with BRPH. That's great. I think this is a really good thing for a firm like yours that's obviously growing and you're trying to scale the company up to have standards like this, to have guidelines, to have someone there that's really focused on building these guidelines the right way, these PM guidelines is really important. I mean, I think that just in terms of building an engineering design consulting firm, that's like one of those key questions. At what point in the firm's timeline do you really dig in and develop your PM guidelines? Your firm had was really diligent about identifying someone in yourself that could do this, make sure you get the right trip. Well, you investigated the training and got the certification and then transferred that into the actual kind of operating procedures of the company. It is essential um, with what we do and our project managers. I mean, we teach them, they're the frontline folks of our firm. So they're interacting directly with clients. They're the ones responsible for winning work and getting the work done. So it makes sense to me to have a strong project management presence and training and approach to make that happen because uh, they are, you know, our PMs are the lifeline of our organization. If we have listeners right now that are listening, Jason, that are civil engineering professionals, they're, you know, working in their careers. And they're trying to decide, this sounds like an interesting certification. Should I get it? Like, you know, what would your advice be to them? Is there a specific type of work that makes it more sense for you to get it? Or what kind of advice can you throw out there on it? I started out as a civil engineer in the design arena. I was very technical starting out. 
What kind of helped me go to that craft, my first firm right out of school, I went to Georgia Tech and, and went to work for a firm here in Atlanta. And that firm offered me very a big variety of different type of projects. You know, I was working on hydrology. I was working on dam rehabilitation projects, working on land development projects, working on resorts, you know, big mixture of different type of things. So I would recommend to civil engineers, go that route first, learn your technical trade, and then as you develop into more project management, I was early on in my career, after I developed those technical skills, I uh, was able to make good connections with clients early on. That was just something I learned how to do from my first supervisor there. And I started managing clients and started to get into more project management roles, more so than technical. So as that PM track developed for me, it became obvious that that became a useful thing. You know, you got to be organized as a project manager. You're the go-to person on a project from the owner standpoint. So you got to be organized. You got to have a methodical process in place. And uh, the PMI process works. You can, like I said, it's a scalable process. It can be used on small projects. It can be used on large multidiscipline projects. So it sounds like from what you're saying and from my own experience, you know, learn the technical trades immediately in your career go for that PE license, which especially in the civil world is highly critical and highly important. And then as you start to usually kind of the next step in your career, they'll give you a, your company will give you a project to manage, maybe start with a small project and you'll start to get into project management. And that's when you may look to couple the PE license with this PMP certificate that could really help you to learn the intricacies of project management and the delivery processes. And for those of you out there, your firm may support you in going after these types of certificates and licenses. So you should definitely talk to them about it. Talk to your HR department about it. I'm looking at the website right now for PMI.org and we'll link to this in the show notes. And it looks like the exam fee is about $500. And then you might take a course like Jason recommended or something along those lines. There might be some materials. I think long-term in your career, if you're going to be involved in civil infrastructure, project management of any, any kind, it sounds like this could potentially be a very wise investment for you for sure. And I also think it could open up other opportunities for you. If you work for a smaller firm and you go this route, you can end up getting a position like Jason had, where you have to actually help in developing the PM standards for your company because of the expertise you've built around doing something like the PMP certificate process. So I think that can all be very valuable. What we're going to do now is we're going to take a short break here. We're going to come back with Jason in a minute and we're going to put him on the civil engineering hot seat, which is just going to pepper him with a few more career related questions. Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast. All right. Now it is time to put Jason Dunn on the civil engineering hot seat. But before we do that, I would like to recognize our sponsor for this episode. Once again, Mazer Consulting. Mazer maintains a culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy comfortable work environments, continuous career advancement, and the ability to impact society, not only through the projects they work on, but the company-sponsored activities available to them. Due to growth, Mazer Consulting has a new and exciting opportunity for a civil site project manager with experience in residential and commercial land development to work out of their Montvale, New Jersey office. To learn more, or if you're interested in the position, contact Michael Weissman at 732-309-7879 and let him know that you heard about the position on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Again, that's Michael Weissman, 732-309-7879. All right, we're back with Jason Dunn. Chief Risk Officer at BRPH, and it's time for the Civil Engineering Hot Seat. Jason, you ready? I'm ready. 
All right. So first question, are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning routine or lunchtime routine or just something that you do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success? It's pretty basic, but it's something I do. And even more so now with pandemic, you know, we're working at home a lot more. I'm working at home probably 90% of the time. So I make sure, you know, I rise at the same time each day after a good night's sleep. I do a, a breakfast every morning, whether it be something just to get my, you know, engines going. And then I immediately log in to, you know, start looking at emails before the meeting craziness begins. I also keep a written to-do list. You've got the outlooks and all those other things to help you manage yourself. But I keep this pad and this is my to-do list and it has everything I need to do from, here's my engineering part coming out of me. I segregate it by business pursuits, by corporate duties, by travel, which doesn't apply right now. And then project related things and then personal things. And, you know, I've come to use that my whole career, the actual written list. And it's so nice when you cross something off, you know, that's a very good thing to cross off. And I'll also relook at that at the end of the day before I shut down just to see if there's anything outstanding or if anything I need to hit first thing the next morning. So a pretty basic ritual. So when you log into your email in the morning to do that, then do you extract items from there and write them down? I do. If there's anything in, in particular, and I try to get on a little early before the meeting craziness, start, the Zoom meeting start, which they start up pretty regularly now. So I try to answer the things that have priority before the folks, you know, maybe 7, 730, something like that, before uh, meetings start to engulf your day. And in terms of prioritizing those items that are on that written sheet of paper, you scan them and you try to prioritize them, I guess, yourself as you go through them. Is that? Yes. And having this in front of you each day, you can kind of refresh yourself. What's priority? I have a certain system where I start things or certain circles and things just to keep myself managed, just a tool for myself to use. Yeah. Everyone comes up with their own tools and tricks of the trade that that you have to. All right. Next question, Jason, what's one book that you recommend to engineers regularly or just one book in general that you found to be extremely helpful in your professional or personal development? Well, there's a couple I'd like to mention. Um, Obviously, one of the classics, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Everyone's probably heard of that. It is a good book, and it's good to refer to. I mean, it beyond the technical world of an engineer, it taught me how to deal with clients, how to deal with people, you know, how to be respectful and genuine with people. And that's really how projects get done. Those type of things that you learn in that book will help you when problems arise, when disputes come up, and they're going to. Any project you work in, in in this career, there's going to be issues that come up. And when you can have those genuine relationships with people and clients, it helps you get through those things a lot easier. So I would recommend that book. The other one for me personally that helped me is a book called The Introverted Leader by Jennifer Conweiler. Not as well known, but it kind of resonated with me. And there's a lot of project management principles within that book. A lot of engineers are introverted. They don't like to go out and their voice is heard they have important things to say. So it, that kind of taught me to be a little more organized in every aspect. There's, and, and part of that book references the four P's, right? Preparation, presence, pushing yourself and practice. And I learned early on being prepared or even overly prepared when it comes to meetings or dealing with owners is never going to hurt you. And pushing yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone is the only way that you're going to accelerate your career. So acknowledging that and, and purposefully doing that has helped me. I'm glad you gave us that. I mean, the Dale Carnegie book is certainly by all means a classic. In fact, I think out of 150 episodes of this podcast, so at least a third of them had said that book when I asked that question. 
But that second book also sounds like it's uh, real valuable for, listen, a lot of engineers, we are introverted and aren't necessarily comfortable being out there. And that sounds like some great tips to be able to help as engineers progress. Another question here, thinking back on the managers that you've had in your career, if you think about your favorite manager or managers, and you don't have to name names here, but just in general, what made these people your favorites? Being at several firms over my career, I've had very good managers and very bad ones. But uh, my favorite one actually was my first manager, first job I had. He was very patient with me and helped me to really learn the craft. Like I mentioned earlier, that learning those technical skills first, being a great engineer from you know drainage and grading and pipe design and hydraulics, all those things that you learn as a, as a civil engineer. He helped me craft that, but he was a master at dealing with clients. Early on, he would take me to client meetings, you know, as a young engineer, had never been exposed to that sort of thing. And he actually got me into the meetings with him and I was able to watch him deal with clients. He was very calm, very smooth, very patient with them and, and always had answers for them, which is the preparation day I mentioned earlier. So I learned, kind of learned that craft from him. And actually, I followed that manager to another firm later after that first job. That tells you a lot about the importance of your manager when, you know, saying that you followed him to another place. And, and really, again, another pattern from this podcast in terms of asking that question to people does oftentimes seem to be great managers are patient and they listen, you know, and they hear kind of your needs. And so that's certainly something that I think as a listener, you can think about as you, you know, develop your own managerial skills and philosophy. All right, Jason, I've got one final question for you. We call it the critical civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer and you had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her and had to give them career advice in that short period of time, what would it be? So I would tell them, and someone told this to me when I was trying to decide the path, I went into school as an undecided engineer and I wasn't sure what I wanted to be, but I did research on civil engineering and, and saw quickly that that is a very wide open field. There's a lot of things you can do in the civil engineering field and I would recommend to, especially a newer engineer, keep an open mind. There's lots of tracks and things you can do in the civil engineering field. You can go into the hydrology, hydraulics, you can do environmental, you can do transportation, you can do structural, and you can even do construction. So I would say keep an open mind, look for the variety of things and learn as much as you can early in your career. You'll pick a path that you think will match your interest, even more so, I think, in civil engineering versus mechanical and electrical. And I totally agree. I mean, it's amazing the number of sub-disciplines in the world of civil engineering. And quite frankly, there are new jobs being created in this industry almost on a daily basis with all the new technologies that continue to come to market. We saw that, you know, you think about drones now, they're kind of like an old thing. They've been around for a long time. But I know several civil engineers that have had to learn implement drone divisions into their company. I mean, that's not something when you, maybe like when I went to school or you went to school, they were, they were even knew anything about. So the point is, is that you may be in a civil engineering job right now. You're like, eh, I kind of like my job, but listen, there's probably a million other things you could be doing and maybe doing in the future just because the breadth of this industry with infrastructure and technology is continuing to evolve. And it's very, very exciting. Jason Dunn, Chief Risk Officer at BRPH, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day and visiting with us on the Civil Engineering Podcast. No problem. Thank you, Anthony, for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, I hope that you enjoyed 
our conversation with Jason Dunn. I'm always getting questions about the PMP, and he really did a good job explaining everything about it. Before we wrap this one up, I would like to once again recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI. We're excited to be teaming up with PPI Kaplan to deliver a webinar that will provide strategies for PE exam preparation and also an update on how COVID-19 has affected the PE exam scheduling and upcoming exams. To register for the free webinar, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org forward slash PPI webinar. We've gotten a lot of requests for our new civil engineering collective training program for companies. If your company might be interested in the civil engineering collective, you could check it out at civilengineeringcollective.com. You can contact us through the website or you can audit one of our upcoming sessions. Remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com and look for episode number 152. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you all the best in your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.